The series title, What's Next? This is message number six, The Midnight Cry, Rapture Ready, which is also the name of a website. First Thessalonians chapter four, some verses that many of us are familiar with, beginning at verse 13, the words of God given to the Apostle Paul. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which means dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, which means to go before, them which are asleep, which is a euphemism for dead. So it would read this way. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before them which are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And this verse here, verse number 18, is something that I've often accented. If we just go back to when this was written, the first century, and now bring it forth to this 21st century, look what it says here. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That this doctrine here of Christ coming for his own, for the church, is supposed to be a comfort for us. Not as some suppose. Our idea of a great escape our idea of how to miss out on all the tribulation and so forth. And there's so many Christian brethren, true Christian brethren, that lampoon our beliefs about this here, which is at very least uncharitable and also uninformed. And I'm going to give you some things today that I think in any court of law would present a reasonable case for the rapture of the church, regardless of when people believe it will occur. I'll give you reasonable evidence to believe that this doctrine is true. Even though we wouldn't question it here, many do, including those who profess Christ. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What words? That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before those that are dead, but the dead shall rise first. Dead in Christ. Shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord. Let me just say it one more time in a different way. If this sounds fantastic, if this sounds, I mean, those that are alive being caught up together and the dead rising out of graves and so on, if it sounds fantastic, especially to either the unbeliever or the antagonist, the evidence that I'm going to show you preceding the doctrine here in my message should satisfy a person with a reasonable mind. Having said that, I've shared little anecdotes here or there about my dog, Buddy. I've owned six, or we've owned six German shepherds. Buddy's number seven. And six of the seven were all American shepherds. There's a difference between the German line that comes from Germany. Buddy is from Germany. Whereas the American line, they're a little bit different. And they're all great. They're my favorite breed of dog, as you know. I appreciate animals in general, but that's my breed. German shepherd dog. They're intelligent. Highly intelligent. They're strong. They're loyal. Qualities we need to find in Christians. Buddy, with all of his habits, now he has some annoying habits because he's so intelligent. For instance, and this is not an exactly an annoying habit, but how many dogs can hear the click of a smartphone? I mean, I could barely hear that when I'm clicking my phone off after having coffee and reading and prayer in the morning when I'm going to get ready to go out. He could be laying there half asleep, but hear the click of the phone. And immediately he's up and began always looking at me. That's one of the salient features of this dog of mine. Three years old, who's constantly looking at me. If I move in my bed, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, he comes out from where he's sleeping, which is the other side of the bed most times, and he's constantly looking at me. Constantly looking at me for direction. And because he's bred as a military canine, genetically, he is predisposed to always be ready to... Well, to go to war. He's always ready. He's always watching me. I mean, if he goes down the stairs, or when he goes down the stairs, every single time, he'll turn to look at me. Make sure this is the direction that you want me to go. We want to go down the stairs here. It doesn't matter. Always watching me for direction. 
always watching me for what's next, and while I'm sleeping, always guarding me and looking after me. Slightest move in my bed. And he's over there looking to see. And once he knows that I'm just tossing and turning, he'll... And he doesn't even lay down, he flops. Now, this is almost a 100-pound German shepherd that when he flops, it wakes me up. Now, the point is this. Here, a dog is doing something instinctually to the master. And in my mind, at least, he presents a good example of what we as Christians need to be doing right now. We need to be so focused on Jesus that every little thing that we see just keeps our attention riveted on the master through the book, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. I had a woman on social media, as I told you, these things happen to me. It's going to happen to anybody that's out there speaking for God, speaking for Jesus. And when I quoted a verse, Jesus says, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. She took issue with that. This is a conservative. She actually wrote underneath my statement, This man's out of his mind. And with, you know, the president, you know, who's going in the White House and all this, you know. Ordinarily, I don't answer people, but she provoked me. And I said to her, you know, evidently, you don't know Jesus. I said, yes, I have lost my mind. I lost it a long time ago. I gave it to Christ. You should do the same thing. You see, even what we say, people on the right side of an issue. Is there really a right side of an issue? In my mind, there's only one right side. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It's the word of God, in my opinion. There's only one right side. And there it is, right in the Bible. Sometimes we Christians, we trip over our politics. Our mind is off the master. Our eyes are off the master. And we're looking at the situations. Our side isn't winning. No, no, our side is winning. Because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. That's why it's important to be like Buddy. Buddy Barnett. He didn't look like one of the family, but he is. All of our dogs were. And we need to be like Buddy. We need to have our eyes so fixed and focused on what is the master doing? Forget about what everybody else is doing. Pray about it. I shouldn't say forget about it. Pray about it. Go before the Lord. But Christ is our Savior. Man is not. He never has been. She hasn't never been. And never will be. For the true Christian. Eyes always on the master. And when your eyes are on the master, you will do what's right in his sight. Caring less what people say, what people do. Always keeping your eyes on the master. Right here at this pulpit yesterday, we had a funeral service for my sister-in-law. My wife's sister passed away suddenly. The day after Thanksgiving, she came in the door and she said, my sister's dead. I said, what? Now, she had a sickness. She had a cancer. But she was at a very, very good hospital in Sloan Kettering in Manhattan, in New York City. And it was fixable. But what no one really knew, she had an underlying heart disease. Nobody knew about it. So after the surgery, she had a minor heart attack. They moved her from Sloan Kettering to Columbia Presbyterian. And then she went to cardiac arrest, and she was gone. The thing about her story is that her last words to my wife, she said, I'm at peace. She's going in for major surgery. Details, I'll just leave it off. The difficulties that we're going to have in doing this surgery on the liver. But she said, I'm at peace. Because, you see, between my wife and I, we had led her to the Lord. And so she was reading the Bible, and she was praying, and she was doing the things that Christians should do and do. And the title of this message, The Midnight Cry, Rapture Ready, is that even though my sister-in-law didn't get caught up in the rapture, an event that has not yet occurred, she was ready to meet the Master. You have to ask yourselves today, in a candid fashion, Am I really ready to meet Jesus? Look, at my sister-in-law expected to come back out of the hospital. We all expected her to come back out of the hospital, but she never did. And in the last 44 years, trust me, I've done enough funerals to say there are a lot of surprises in life. Of people who have got plans for tomorrow and next month and next year and so on and so forth, and all of a sudden, gone. And by the way, it's the prerogative of God to do whatever he wants with his creation and his creatures. God can do and will do whatever he desires. Because he's the creator. He's God. We need to be like my sister-in-law. And in the analogy, like my dog, looking constantly at the master. So that we can truly say, and we know, we know, that all things work together for the good of them that love God. And to those who are the cold according to his purpose. We don't understand it all. 
all the pain, the song that we just sang, the testing, the constant testing, and being tried, and everything that we go through, we don't understand it all, but we do understand that in Romans 8, 29, that the ultimate plan of God is to have us conform to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for your life and mine. Now, with everything we see, if there was ever a time, as I mentioned just a moment ago, if there was ever a time that we should be looking with a fixed gaze at the master, this is the time to be looking at him. And all we see down here, as the song says, an old song, will grow strangely dim. Christ is coming. We see these signs. Now, let me just share with you on the subject of the rapture, which we've just read, the definition, which would make it technical. In the Bible, God has described to us an event, we just read one verse, where we read the words caught up. We apply them usually when someone is very fixed on something, they say, well, he's caught up in something. But that's not what these words mean. For instance, we start with Latin. Even though the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, we start with the Latin because someone will say, hey, the word rapture is not in the Bible. No, it's not in the English Bible. And it's not in the Greek text either, but it is in the Latin Vulgate. One of the earliest translations of the Greek and Hebrew scriptures into the language of the day, which was Latin, when St. Jerome translated the Bible, the entire Bible, into Latin. And the word raptus, or rapio, is where we get our English word rapture. So if anyone asks you, huh, well, the word rapture is not in the New Testament, well, either is the word trinity. And there's a lot of things, most, <laughs> that are not in any translation except Greek, in which the New Testament is written. So don't get too worried about words, I mean, words in English or whatever language. There's many people watching us right now from all over the world. And you don't have to be concerned about your own language and the words that are used in the translation as much as what does the text say. And if my Latin pronunciation will hold up, we'll find out in a moment. This word raptus means to be carried off by force. The same way we saw one of our little ones just now just get carried out. We were taught, my wife and I, early on from the pastor who made no bones about it, that children, he says, are like a New Year's resolution. They're meant to be carried out. Well, we Christians are meant to be carried up, caught up, not caught up with this life, with these affairs, though we do our duty. And again, if you have your mind set on the Lord, you will do what's right in his sight. From your voting to your praying, everything will be done that it pleases God. But to be raptus or rapio means to be taken away suddenly, for which, again, I'm going to offer you evidence from history before we even go to the Bible that these events have happened. Diende nos qui vimimus, qui relinquimur, simul rebiamur, cum ilis in nobimus obrium, Christo in erra, et sic semper cum domino erimus. In this Latin translation of 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, we come across the word rebiamur, for where we get raptus, rapio, and the verb repir. We are going to be caught up, and I just present that to you, as how we arrive at the word rapture. It's from Latin. The Greek word is harpazo. And it has the same idea, obviously, as that Latin word. It means to seize, to snatch something suddenly. We've all, I do quite frequently. Something will fall off the shelf, and I'm still able to grab it before it hits the floor in most cases. Just grab it. You snatch it. And that's what Jesus said. Remember when the Apostle Paul well, remember this, when the writing of the New Testament, the apostles were very heavily dependent on the Holy Spirit to give them directions and put these words down for us to read. But there were many occasions when the apostles were able to quote Jesus directly. And here he says, now I'm telling, this is what the Lord has said, what Jesus has said. And remember, the apostle Paul wasn't in that original circle of believers. He says, this we have by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto his coming shall not go before those that are dead, but the dead shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, Harpazo, to catch away, to pluck, to pull, to take up, to take by force. Same as the Latin raptus, where we get our word raptured. In Hebrew, we have another word, lokach. To take, 
And this is the word we'll see. I mention it when we get there. This is the word that speaks of Enoch. He walked with God and was not for God. Lakach took him. We live, as I mentioned earlier, we live in an age not only of unprecedented events, biblically speaking, and otherwise. But we live also fulfilling the prophecy that in the last days, scoffers will come. And many of them are not only outside the church, they're right inside the church. And they will look at a person like myself, or perhaps yourself, talking on this subject, and lampoon, and laugh, and mock. Well, do as you please. This is the word of the Lord. Caught away. Raptus, rapture, harpazo, lokach, all have the same idea. Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and whatever other translations are out there from the many people around the world that are watching this broadcast has the same concept that we are going to be taken up. And if we are in a grave, as my sister-in-law is now and so many others that I've personally buried, they'll be taken up first. It's quite a day, quite a day. And you know what? It's you and I that has to decide whether we believe this. Now, my advice to you is this. Take the word of God at face value and don't be concerned what other people think. Well, what does it matter what other people think? You think for yourself. You honor the Lord. You live in a certain way. We live the way Christ informs us to live. And as the saying goes, let the chips fall where they may. What difference does it make? We know whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. See, this event precedes the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. And we are persuaded that he's able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. For the Apostle Paul said, and I think we could say as well, if you've been tried and now found true, I have known whom I've believed. Not just read about him. I've come to know him. That we may know God, not just know about God, but to know God. I have known whom I have believed. And we will be taken if we are alive. I'm not sure which I'd rather be in the grave is popping out out of a coffin or just alive and taken straight up. I'm not sure. I know after so many thousand feet, it gets a little cold, but I am sure that Jesus has something prepared. Now, let me enter into evidence here that the mysterious disappearance of people is not only a phenomenon of the past, but it's an ongoing phenomenon. And I present this to you for those who, again, lampoon this doctrine, because the only thing they're looking at is the impossibility that people could be taken up and disappear, forgetting, I suppose, that this goes on all the time in events that cannot in finality really be explained. Let me start with some of the simpler ones. The mysterious disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Now, this is not necessarily paranormal. Most of us assume that he was somehow murdered by the people that he associated with. But still to this day, until the recent book of the production of The Irishman, where this man confesses he was the one, but then we have people out there who knew Jimmy Hoffa and knew this Irishman, and they say, no, it didn't happen that way. It's laughable and honor. But one thing we do know, nobody knows where he is. Okay. I'm starting at the lowest level. We'll get on to some more intriguing ones in just a second. But the man disappeared, and we don't know what happened to him precisely. And I want to share with you, there's something that we have to understand. There's a difference between fact and truth. The fact is, Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. The fact is, Amelia Earhart disappeared. Again, we're all under the impression their plane went down. That's fairly obvious. But nobody knows why and nobody knows where. And these, again, this is at the bottom of the chain. These are ones that's pretty easy to think about. But I enter it into evidence that people are disappearing all the time. But some of them are disappearing in ways that cannot be explained. So once again, just to make the point for those who lampoon the doctrine of the rapture. They're evidently not looking at history. They're evidently not looking at the facts of life right now. So you have mysterious disappearance of individuals. And we don't know precisely what happened to them. But... In most cases, there's a working theory, especially with the two I named, Hoffa and Earhart. One of the mysterious disappearances of a group of people that has always fascinated me and still fascinates me, they made a movie about it a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, is the Ninth Legion of Rome. Now, here's the legion of Julius Caesar. These are war-hardened soldiers, 5,000 or so of them, 
And at a certain point in their history, the final point in their history, they were sent over to what was then Britannia or Caledonia, and they're sent up to put things in order there in England, modern-day England, Britain. But they never returned. Now, all the experts, and I've read up on some of them, experts in history and associated sciences and so forth, have theories of what happened to 5,000 soldiers. But they've never been found, and the truth of it is. The fact is, they're missing. 5,000. But the truth, we don't know exactly what happened to them. And I'm not suggesting it's paranormal. I'm just presenting into evidence that people disappear, not just one or two or here or there, which happens every single day on the planet. But you have whole groups of people that just disappear. Rome's Ninth Legion was one of them. Battle-hardened soldiers that march into Britain and never return, and without a trace of them. And everything about their disappearance is a speculation. But the fact is, they did disappear. And to this day, it's an unsolved mystery. That's one of my favorites. I have to admit, after some research, it's a little dubious about the village of Anjikumi in Canada, where a trapper, Joe LaBelle, would visit regularly, according to his testimony, this village of Anjikumi. One day he went there on his regular travel route, According to his testimony, he found the village there, but the people were all gone. The graves were all emptied. There was still a fire pot going with meat hanging over it and laundry hanging out. And this is in Canada, so we have a lot of snow. No trace of them at all. I say that it's a dubious story because some say, well, the village never existed. There never was people there. Others say, no, 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 there was people there, but we could explain why they're missing. But here's the fact. If the village actually had people, Anjikuni is a lake, and that place is there. But if there was a village, and if there were people, they just disappeared, and nobody knows what happened to them. But that story may be a little more dubious than others. When we go to, in the Western world at least, I think what is most popular, that we're most familiar with, is that triangulation of a million point five miles that goes from San Juan, Puerto Rico, to Miami, to Bermuda. The Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle. And to date, about 2,000 ships have just mysteriously disappeared. 2,000. 200 airplanes and a few people off the land. A little here, a little there. The numbers are not really known how many people have actually gone missing. But we have interesting events when it comes to our Bermuda Triangle. And I say our because we're living here on the east coast of America. If you've ever flown through it, I remember my wife and I went on our honeymoon to Bermuda my dad has spent 13 years at sea. I had to ask him, I said, you know, we're we going to be okay going through this triangle. He said, well, don't worry about it because you're not actually going through the triangle. The York to Bermuda is about 500 miles, and so we missed out on that. But take Flight 19, one of the more famous disappearances of five Navy Avenger airplanes. On a routine training mission, they go out, and all of a sudden, after a matter of some short time, they just get disoriented and can't figure out where they are. They're not that far from shore. I mean, by plane and ship, it's not that far. And, you know, compasses are not functioning right, and they're radioing in, and all of a sudden, poof, they just disappear off the radar. Five Navy Avengers and their pilots, obviously, just gone. And so the Navy sends out a search and rescue airplane after them, and it disappears off the radar. In that same bit of ocean, you have many, many cases, famous cases, but one that also intrigues me is the story of the Mary Celeste. Here's a ship that went out with its captain and his wife and two children. Those four there. And a crew of seven. One day, another ship comes along and finds the Mary Celeste completely empty. But the ship was totally intact. A little tears in the sails and the lifeboat was gone, but the ship was completely intact. Crew is missing, captain, wife, two children, all missing, all gone, never recovered, no one ever knows. And the Ellen Austin that comes upon a ship that's just floating at sea with no one on it. Ship was intact, people are gone. Now look at, so that you or anybody watching or listening doesn't get the wrong idea, I'm not here to present a theory for UFOs and aliens and portals into the next world. However, when it comes to the Bermuda Triangle, there are some reasonable explanations of what could have happened to these people over the years. Even in 1492, when Columbus came through that area, his compass started to act up. He was seeing mysterious lights falling from the sky. Something in his journals, inexplicable. But we have so many, many thousands of cases. The USS Cyclops, with 309 crew members on it, 
To date, this is the largest naval disaster outside of combat, where a ship goes through the same area carrying coal from Barbados to Baltimore and just disappears. And we're familiar with that. We're familiar with these cases. We've read up on them. They're a bit intriguing. What happened to Flight 19? What happened to the search and rescue plane that went out after it? What happened to the USS Cyclops? What happened to the Mary Celeste? What happened to the ship the Ellen Austin was following? And on and on and on, through thousands of cases. The point is, and I'm going to just go a little further with this, the point is that we already have a historical precedent for mysterious disappearances of people. And what is not so familiar to us, in my mind, is the 16,000 people that's the, basically the population of this whole city that have gone missing, that has no trace of them. That includes ships and airplanes once again, that in the area of what is known as the Alaskan Triangle from Juneau, the capital of Alaska, to Anchorage and way up to the northeast corner, to the Barrow Mountains. Since 1988, that's only 32 years, 16,000 people are missing and no one can find them. They don't know what became of them. Again, theories abound. Some of them are very plausible. Then we go and we look at the oceans of the world and we see that there's 12 spots like this, including one in Japan known as the Dragon's Triangle. Same events. And one of the working theories that sounds plausible is that there's an electromagnetic field or a vortex. Someone has named them the vile vortices, where things just disappear, people just disappear. And so we look at this and we start with individuals where we say, well, we kind of understand what happened to Hoffa and Earhart. And we kind of understand what happened to some other individuals. And we sort of have explanations for Flight 19 and maybe the USS Cyclops and the Mary Celeste and other events. But as we go further and further, we see these 12 areas around the globe where all these disappearances take place. And we try to entertain reasons why thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are just missing. And nobody really, really knows. Nobody really, really knows what happened. Then we go to civilizations, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Olmec people. All around the world, by the way, we have these monoliths, like Easter Island. One of the most remote islands in the South Pacific, where we have these massive stone figures that are idols. It wasn't until not that long ago that we were looking at these idols. You know, they only looked so big until they dug them up. These things are massive. How were they moved? But what happened to the people? Where did they go? And nobody knows. And again, I say it again. I'm just offering this as evidence to those that lampoon the doctrine of the rapture, as though it was something strange, never heard before, that historically, up until this moment, and it will happen in the future, people, including large groups of people, including civilizations, you can go to Syria, Algiers, all over the world, Japan, the city underwater over here, Robert Ballard, who just went, well, a couple of years ago, he's the one that discovered the Titanic back in the 80s. He goes into the Black Sea with a theory, and sure enough, as they send these robotic devices down below, what do they find? Pottery, houses, evidence of a great flood where the Mediterranean just dumped itself into the Black Sea. That's the working theory, but our Bible tells us it was a worldwide catastrophic flood. What happened to the dinosaurs? Theories abound. We don't know, but they disappeared. Meteorite shower, that's been a working theory for many, many decades. But the truth is we don't know. You see, the fact is that these people are missing. The fact is that these civilizations are gone, and people really don't know what the truth is of how they disappeared or why. We only know the fact that they did, and they continue to disappear. Let me just finish this portion of the message with Alaska. They're disappearing right now. It's a rugged terrain. You know, there's more people living in San Francisco, the city, than the entire state of Alaska, which may be where we want to move soon. <laughs> so you have a lot of land, and it is very rugged terrain and all of that, but story after story after story. And again, I'm not submitting any theories of how these people are missing or why. I'm just simply saying those are the facts of the case. People disappear all the time. But somehow, it must escape the mind of the progressive, which means liberal, theologians of Christianity, and then also all the people that just want to lampoon Christianity anyway, atheists and agnostics and whoever else, that they don't connect history to the Bible. The Bible is a historical book. Jesus actually lived. He was a historical person. And by the way, one of the most astonishing events in the entire Bible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
who said, you want to know who I am? You want to know of my claims when I say the Father and I are one? That before Abraham was, I am? Egoemi is the Greek. He says, kill me. And in three days, I will raise myself back up again. Remember that the apostles in particular, 11, because Judas committed suicide, they were not brave men at the end. When Jesus was crucified, they were hiding. A couple of women there, and John, who was a teenager, they went to the cross, but the rest, no. But after the resurrection, almost every single one of them were martyred for their faith because of what they saw. For we saw him, and we touched him. Thomas, when he touched Jesus, said, my Lord and my God. He didn't believe the testimony. He didn't believe the report. But when he touched Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. And so we believe the report of the Lord. And when the event does occur, at whatever time it does occur, then will people believe? Well, yeah. But every night people are dying who don't believe in God, who now believe in God when they meet him. But God requires for us to have faith first. And faith is not without intelligence. I'm giving you historical precedent I'm giving you examples from history of people disappearing, including entire civilizations, where their ruins remain to this day, and we don't know why. We just know it's a fact that it happened. So if it's incredulous to the minds of some that God could take his own people, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and take them into the air, I say, I don't think it's that fantastic, first of all, for God to do anything, because he's God. Second of all, we already have historical precedent, which, as you know, in courts of law, a judge and a jury may make a final decision based on the facts of the case, yes, but on precedent. Sentencing guidelines are based on precedent, not always necessarily the law, but what judges have done prior to this case that they have before them. People who hear the cases, not just the jury, but those sitting in the gallery, will also base it on precedent. And we have precedent in history of people mysteriously disappearing. That's all I'm trying to say. So before you lampoon the doctrine, take a good look at history and try to be intelligent. The people have been mysteriously disappearing since the beginning of time. And they still are. So that we have cause to look at what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 5. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God, Lokach, took him. Now again, someone would look at the Bible, some agnostic, atheist, antagonist, whatever, and they'll say, oh, what a story. I say, look at history. Without the Bible, and in perhaps no relation to the Bible, before you start lampooning and laughing. Because you see, in the end, there's people like myself that are laughing at you. Because you say you have a case, and I say, not historically you don't. And God took him. All we know about Enoch, other than that he was the great-great-grandfather of Noah, is that he was a godly man and that he was taken by the Lord, Lokach. was taken by God and translated, which is what we find in Hebrews chapter 11, which is raptured. He was taken from the earth. We know why. We just don't know in what manner God did it. Then we look at Elijah. And he's with his ingenue, if you will, his disciple, Elisha. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, parted them one from the other. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Again, incredulous to the mind of some who are not prudent enough to at least step back for a moment and say, well, history is showing us every day that people and groups of people and thousands like Rome's Ninth Legion and others, civilizations, have been disappearing since time has begun. So it's not that incredulous. Now, I'm not saying that we preachers can give you all the facts of the case because they're not written for us. So we surmise and we try to come up with some reasonable answers. But we know the fact. Enoch walked with God. I'm smiling because I was tempted to say my former denomination. He walked with God, not a denomination. He walked with God, not just a group of people who said, do this and do that. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. If God took Enoch, can he not take you? If God took Elijah, can he not take you? We come into the New Testament, and we see one of the apostles, Philip, 
who's led to speak to this Ethiopian eunuch under the charge of Candace or Candace, Ethiopian. And he's reading Isaiah 53. The spirit says to Philip, go over to this man. And he starts to explain when the eunuch says to him, I'm reading this from the prophet Isaiah. I'm from Ethiopia. I don't know what it means. And Philip expounds unto him the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he had to suffer and he had to die. And that is a sacrifice. And the eunuch is so excited. He says, well, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, if you believe with your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, resurrection, which is known as the kerygma, the preaching of the gospel, with his water right here. And he baptizes him. But then something strange happens. So let's read it. Acts 8, 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Now that's a word of baptism you want to be at. It's never happened to me, not yet. When they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuchs saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Then the scriptures go on to say, which is just fantastic. Philip is baptizing. Remember, he's as surprised, I guess, as the eunuch. He baptizes the eunuch. All of a sudden, the eunuch looks up, and Philip's gone. And Philip looks up, and the eunuch's gone. The spirit raptured Philip, and he's in the Zotus. But the Bible here uses the word caught away. That's that Greek word harpazo, our Latin vulgate, cum otem, as gandisent, deacla, spiritus domine, raptuit philippum, raptured Philip. The spirit raptured Philip. And I'm going through the Latin with you, so you're hearing the etymology of the word rapture. And the spirit raptured Philip. And he's in the Zotus. Elijah went from earth to heaven. Enoch went from earth to heaven. Now we have a case where Philip goes from earth to earth. He's translated, moved from one part of the earth to the other. Let's go and look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Apostle Paul has a rapture. And he says this at verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Speaks in the third person. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up, all right, harpazo, or raptured. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Conium raptus est in paradisum. Raptus. Raptured. Paul was raptured. He was taken, though, from earth to heaven and then came back down again. Philip was taken from earth to earth. Enoch, Elijah were taken from earth into heaven. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything impossible with God? You see, that's what's really at stake when we talk about these things. For with God, Jesus said, nothing is impossible. I cannot transfer myself from one place to the other. Sometimes even, <laughs> I used to go on long, long runs when I was younger, 13 miles, 14 miles, 15 miles. If I drive that distance now, I'm out of breath. <laughs> but I certainly can't go whoop and just take myself from earth to earth, from earth to heaven and back down again. Only God can do this. And again, leaning on historical precedent of the mysterious disappearances of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, whole cultures, villages. We have precedent to believe the word of God as though God could lie. And he cannot. We which are alive and remain. Well, you're alive, most of you. And we are remaining at the moment. Shall not prevent. We will not go before those that are dead. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord. And so... Shall we ever be with the Lord? I thank God, as much as I understand about heaven, that we won't have to vote God in every four years. And for those who had complaints about his governing, won't be there. That's the sad part. He won't be there. He won't be anybody complaining. I don't like the way he's running heaven. I don't like the way you're running the universe. Well, I'd get to like it real soon if I was you. Because the times in which we live are giving us further evidence all the time. But these are the days, we sing this song, right? These are the days of Elijah. These are the days that Christ talked about and the apostles talked about and the prophets of the Old Testament talked about. 
I'm convinced we're in those days. And I'm not setting a date. I'm not saying I know the day or the hour. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, but I know the season. And we're in the season. We're in the season of Christmas at the moment. And we do happen to know the date that we use to celebrate it. But when it comes to the catching away and it comes to other things concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, we don't know the day or the hour. So we have to be watching. I have something very interesting to give to you at the end of this message about watching and watching your garments. I think you're going to like it. I hope you like it. Actually, I don't care if you like it or not, but I just hope you do. (laughs) Jesus in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, America is not named, but we could put it in there and say, you'll leave me going to America. Well, I'll raise up preachers and teachers and Christians in America, North America, South America, Central America. I will raise them up in Iceland and Greenland and Australia, all over the earth. Matthew chapter 29, and we have that before us right now. The smallest of preachers, as far as the diminutive audience that they have, until the advent of technology, and I'll preach to the whole world. And Jesus said, all these signs that I've given to you of my coming, he said, the gospel must be preached to the whole world, and then shall the end come. Then shall I come first for my own, then the judge, the living and the dead. We know the great tribulation is wedged in between, and we're there. To continue... You shall be witnesses to me in the whole earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. Now, this is not the word that we use for rapture. It just means received, as we read it here in the next line. And the cloud received him out of their sight. And, you know, I would love to walk with Jesus in those days, too. Everything he does is unusual. Now you're talking to him, he just goes up, 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 he's gone. Now, remember, there's 40 days in between, but they really didn't know what was going on either. They're locked up in a room, hiding and cowering. And what are we going to do? And Jesus doesn't even use the door. He comes walking through the wall. You talk about making a grand entrance. Walking through the wall. And by the way, I want to throw something else in before I forget. All over the world right now, in different religions, not Christians, leaders are having dreams. Men and women are having dreams in various religions. And Christ is appearing to them. Can I validate that that's the truth? I can't. It's just the fact is that these people are changed. <clears throat> now they're coming out of their religion saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Amen. What exciting days we live in. Amen. And to that, if this woman is watching who wrote to me on the social media, say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, I now have the mind of Christ. I was out of my mind a long time ago. And I said, God, you want to take this mind? Said, sure. And he threw it away. And he gave me a new mind. The mind of Christ. The word of God. As they're watching him go up, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Acts 1, 8 through 11. This is our hope. In the book of Titus, is called the blessed hope. Again, I say this to you. Look at, put your eyes on Jesus. And it may not appear that way to you and to your mind, but everything is working out according to his plan. According to his plan. While we do our duty, once again, as we look at Christ and we fix our eyes on him, and everybody else around here is doing whatever they do, we will still do what's right in the sight of the Lord. But don't you keep your eyes down here. Now is our salvation nearer than it was in the first century. Now is your salvation nearer than it was 10 years ago, that's for sure. Amen. Like my sister-in-law goes in the hospital, everybody expects her to come out. She did not come out. And she was taken up. Amen. She was taken up. Amen. Let me talk about the cry at midnight for just a second here before we finish. The parable of Jesus. We've gone through this many times. Now I'm in Matthew chapter 25, the very first verse. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And their lamps, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps with no oil, nothing to spare. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they have the lamps and they got spare. While the bridegroom tarried, there's a clue that this was going to be a space of time between Christ's ascension and his return. 
While the bride and groom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, No, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. This, by the way, is the exact same thing we read about Noah. Notice if you read it in Genesis, it's a great revelation if you find it by yourself. You don't have to. When Noah and the animals, everybody went in the ark, it was God who shut them in. I saw that many, many years ago. I said, look at this. God himself shut Noah in. And by the way, our position of a pre-tribulation rapture is based on the fact that Noah was saved from the flood. Well, he was saved in the flood, too. You could make that argument. But Lot was saved from destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about it. Philadelphia, in the book of the Revelation, is told, because you have been faithful, they've watched their garments and they kept waiting and watching. They were analogous to the wise virgins. He said, I will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall take the whole world. So we have evidence. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Then Jesus exhorts us, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And again, to just press this illustration, my sister-in-law, and again, this has happened in my, what happens in every pastor's ministry, it's unexpected. I believe that death almost never comes when you expect it, even when you know you're dying. You look at your watch and you say, Oh boy, I'm not in good shape. And all of a sudden, boom, you're gone. Watch ye therefore, for you know not the hour or the day when your Lord comes. But we see the signs. Now, here's the temple, now destroyed, of course. Here's the temple at Jerusalem. Every day and every night there were guards, temple guards, around this huge, great edifice, then the temple of Herod. At night, there were 24 stations around the temple. Ten guards each, most of them Levites. And an officer of the temple would go around at night with a torch. And he would go to each station during the night. For Roman soldiers, was many, many penalties, very severe, for dereliction of duty, aiding and abetting the enemy, and so on and so forth. But sleeping, as we found the Roman guards at the tomb of Jesus, was the death penalty. That's why they went to the Jewish leaders and said, he's gone, and we were not sleeping. We saw beings we cannot explain. And they said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. We'll offer them money and they'll go for it. But temple guards, they didn't kill them if they fell asleep. But they had something very interesting that gives us what I'm going to show you finally. You see, the temple officer will go around with the torch. And he may say, Shmuel or Shlomo. If there was no answer, the temple officer knew they fell asleep. They know what they did? Take the torch, light their garments on fire. That has a way of waking you up. Shmuel, don't you ever sleep when you're on duty for the temple of the Lord. And I would imagine most of the people who had their garments set on fire didn't sleep again. They certainly didn't sleep that night. Whoa. That's how they did it. And from that, we get these words of Jesus in Revelation 16, 15. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. It's reference to the temple guards who had to watch and be vigilant all night long. Well, that was their duty, and that was their station. But they couldn't fall asleep. Or if they did, the penalty was certainly severe enough. Garments were set on fire. And what is Jesus saying here? You see the signs. You see the times. You have the evidence. Yeah, many will reject it. We already know that. But you have it. And he says, watch and pray so that your garments are not caught on fire. You see, Jesus is not coming to set us on fire. Jesus is coming to receive us unto himself. And oh, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. Let those that are going to lampoon and laugh and try to solve these problems themselves, have at it. You'll join the ranks of people in history who've tried the very same thing and had their civilizations crumble. The Roman Empire crumbled. The Empire of Alexander the Great crumbled. Hannibal, he crumbled. Everybody crumbles except one, the Lord God Almighty. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not. 
So, my advice to you is be like Buddy. Constantly watching. Constantly watching the master. And I'm not trying to advocate be nervous. He's not nervous. He's doing his job. He's doing what he was made by God genetically to do. Military canine. But I do advise you to be in that spirit, that mode of both intelligence and dedication, that at this hour of history, more than anyone else, as Jehoshaphat said, Lord, hear our prayer, for we have no might against this great company that cometh up against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And the great news, God reverses it. And he says, his eyes are upon the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their cry. This is the blessed hope that we have. Let's go to prayer. Father, we bless you and we praise you. As I said earlier and I began, the herd begins to thin out all over the world. Yet, at the same time, we see new ones coming in, saying, I want to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And they can say, yeah, I do. Oh God, in this hour of history, continue to build your church all over the world. Some are disaffected from the institutional church. And so they're out in homes and they can't find a church that they're comfortable in. The preachers don't preach. And when they do preach, it's gobbledygook. Oh God, pour out your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, as you have said you would, that we may bring in the harvest, speaking the truth in love, giving evidence, along with the exhortation to believe God, have faith in God. Father, today, build your church that's sitting right here in front of me. Those that are watching by way of television in places like Punjab and Pakistan, Uganda and England, Australia, across the United States, Liberia, all over the place. You're causing people to wake up and you're bringing in the harvest for the time has come before you put in the sickle and separate the wheat from the chaff. Help us, God, to be the real deal. Cause us to be faithful to the end. And we thank you and we bless you. We praise you, God, today. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Tried and true. Tried. God, let us be true. Father, we close today's time together. A very short period of time. For all intents and purposes, most of us only have it once a week. That's it. However, God, I just ask you, during the week, all throughout the day, even in our sleep when we wake up, remind us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And then the second commandment, which you said was like the first and the greatest, is to love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Again, God calls us to be the real deal. Let no one here, sitting, standing, watching, listening, ever be found in that place when they say, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. I want you to hear you say, I don't know you. I never knew you. No. God, rather let it be that we have confidence and we will not be ashamed at your coming. Not be found in the wrong mind, the wrong spirit, or the wrong place where we ought not to be. And Father, we give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory. And we give you all of the honor today. In Jesus' mighty name, and let us all one more time say, Amen. 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 Amen.